0: This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table.
1: Words of Integration and Guidance by Mark Nepo. There is a deep and humbling lesson in the way of birds. Their wings grow and stretch and span patches of air, first tentatively and then with confidence. They lift, they pump, they glide, they land. It seems for birds, it is the act of flying that is the goal. Indeed, birds learn how to fly, never knowing where flight will take them. There is the sense that being aloft is their true destination. Unlike birds, we confuse our time on Earth again and again with obsessions of where we are going, often to the point that we frustrate and stall our human ability to fly. We frequently tame and hush our need to love, to learn, to know the truth of spirit, until we can be assured that our efforts will take us somewhere. All these conditions and hesitations and yes-buts and what-ifs Turn the human journey upside down, never letting the heart, wing that it is, truly unfold. Just how often do we cripple ourselves by not letting love, with all its risks, teach us how to fly? How many times do our hearts stall because we don't let the wingspan of our passion open us fully into our gifts? How frequently do we search for a song of guidance that can only come from inside us? We, like the birds, are meant to fly and to sing, that's all. And all our plans and schemes are twigs of nest that, once outgrown, we leave. A reading of scripture from Genesis 11, 1 through 9 Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, Look, They are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thank Thanks be to God.
0: The Holy Scripture, according to Acts 2 1 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. (coughs) It's a long list. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men, and we assume he includes women, men and women of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these... Folks, are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, upon your sons and your daughters, who will prophesy and your young men who shall see visions, and your old men who shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. So this morning we're going to talk a little bit about origin myths or origin stories. Origin myths are sort of a technical term, I guess you could say, for stories that describe how some reality, some new reality, came into existence. How did this thing come about? Well, it all started when, and you could fill in the blanks, and there are many things that have origin stories or origin myths, including our own nation. It all started when, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. It all started when the Mayflower landed at Plymouth Rock. It all started when Lewis and Clark headed westward. It all started when we signed the Declaration of Independence. It all started when our flag was still there. You might say, well, was Columbus really a part of our national lore? Maybe those other things would fit. But yet, uh, I came across this. The Latin poetic name for the United States through the 19th century was Columbia. Did you know that? I didn't know that. But maybe then it's not surprising that our national capital is what? The District of Columbia. Named in honor of Columbus. And institutions like Columbia University still bear that name. And our original national anthem was hail columbia hail columbia in fact they still play that when the vice president makes an appearance in public i didn't know that either (laughs) kind of interesting and uh, just a fun fact for today and columbus day is a federal holiday despite the fact that columbus himself never set foot on any square inch or any territory that was ever claimed by the united states But it's all part of our origin story, our origin myth. And these things are further told. You know, the idea of our country sort of spreading westward is preserved in stories and narratives about pioneers and settlers. And so as that was happening, there were songs about life on the home on the range life out on the prairie there were narratives novels magazine stories and now of course television shows and even beloved television shows that many of us were raised on like little house on the prairie right meant to sort of idealize and even heroize these folks who grew up expanding westward grew up as pioneers settlers heading westward in fact, my, my kids enjoy watching Little House on the Prairie, and sometimes they'll watch uh, on the way to school in the car. They can't get from Holland to Zealand without watching a video. Maybe we need a family intervention. No. But there was an episode that I was overhearing because I can't see it because I'm driving. Uh, and I think it was one of the last episodes of the entire series. And some man comes to town and says he has claimed all of Walnut Grove. And he had all the land of Walnut Grove. And in fact, he says he has the power of the U.S. government to enforce his possession of the land. And somebody, I think it was Nels Olson, says, We've been building this place up our whole lives. We're not going to stand here and let it be stolen. The irony being, of course, that that land was not originally theirs either. But could be a little bit of a subversive episode because it creates empathy and sympathy for this community who sees a white man come with the power of the U.S. government and say, I'm taking this land for myself. And so if we can have sympathy for these people, maybe we could have sympathy for another group of people. So I think there was something, something good going in there in Little House. But anyway, this is all an aside. I'm getting sidetracked. <laughs> But back to uh, origin stories or origin myths. In the ancient world, there were a lot of these. Samaria, Rome had stories about how Rome came to be this great empire. The nation of Israel had origin stories or origin myths. In fact, we read one of those today in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, which begins saying, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. Probably the best words, but the same words. And this kind of origin story is attempting to explain something, right? The earliest readers of, the tec- of this text knew, they knew that people don't all speak the same language. Well, why don't people speak all the same language? Well, because there was this one time they were building this tower, and then God said, we can't have them do that, so we're going to split them up and give them all different languages. Well, that kind of origin story is this, technically called an etiology, an etiology which explains why is something so. Like if you've ever read uh, Rudyard Kipling's, how the camel got his hump, right? That's a story for kids about why does a camel have a hump? A horse doesn't have a hump. Why does a camel have a hump? And it explains why something came to be. That's what this story of the Tower of Babel is. Why do people speak so many different languages if we all were together at the beginning? Genesis says, The Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. Therefore it was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. But there's another story that's really the key or central story, origin story for the people of Israel. Any guesses as to what that might be? Noah's Ark? No. Right. That's good. good try. That's a good try. No one else is going to guess now, because they don't want to be wrong. <laughs> nope? The freedom of the Egyptians
2: by Moses.
0: Yes, exactly. There you go, Pollyann. Coming out of Egypt, the Exodus. That's exactly right. The Exodus narrative is really the origin story for the people of Israel freedom from slavery in Egypt, but this culminates and is crystallized and really officialized in Exodus chapter 20 at Mount Sinai. That really is the key hub of Israel's national origin story. And if you wonder uh, about that, well, when something becomes an origin story, lore often grows around it. And the Midrash, which is sort of a Jewish expansive telling of this, says that when God gave the law to Moses and the people of Israel on Mount Sinai, it says, When the Holy One, blessed is he, presented the Torah at Sinai, not a bird chirped, not a fowl flew, not an ox lowed, not an angel ascended, not a seraph proclaimed kadosh or holy. The sea did not roll, and not a creature made a sound. All of the vast universe was silent and mute. It was then that the voice went forth and proclaimed, I am the Lord your God. When God revealed himself to Israel, the world fell silent because this moment was pivotal, not only to Israel, but to all of creation. Had Israel not accepted the Torah, the universe would have come to an end. what it actually said. I've read, read that right. I've got a Hebrew Torah scripture that's got it in Hebrew and English and this is part of the Midrash. Wow. Right? You can tell that this is an important story, right? When it has implications for the entire universe not just for Israel. A powerful story in the formation of a people. Why are we who we are? And so it shouldn't surprise us that the early church would also have an origin myth or an origin story, a founding event that is pointed to as something that propels the community forward. And don't be put off by the word myth. That doesn't mean not true or didn't happen, but it means that it might have grown in significance or in the retelling things might have been added on to. Maybe. And so these stories often begin, it all started when... And so our story in Acts 2, the story of Pentecost, I think, is a key origin story for the early Christian community. And this story doesn't happen in a vacuum. In fact, it's closely related to the two stories we've just talked about, Babel and Sinai. There's some very interesting parallels. In fact, according to the book of Jubilees and Josephus, God overturns the Tower of Babel with a great wind. With a great wind. And in the Midrash, it is said that the top of the tower was burnt, the bottom was swallowed, and the middle was left standing to erode over time. And so in the Babel narrative, we have wind, we have fire, we have multiple languages. It's kind of interesting. What about that giving of the covenant and giving of the law at Mount Sinai? According to Exodus itself and the Midrash, there was smoke, wind, fire, and cloud on Mount Sinai. The Midrash says the mountain trembled and the voice of God was heard by the entire nation. And then it says, on the occasion of the giving of the Torah, the children of Israel not only heard the Lord's voice, but they saw it. They saw the voice as tongues of fire which came to each Israelite individually. And then it goes on to say that God's voice broke up into 70 parts, 70 languages, so that every nation on earth could hear this happening in its own language. Pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. And the rabbit hole goes even deeper when we realize that the Jewish festival, which commemorates the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, was called the Feast of Weeks. Feast of Weeks, because it happened seven weeks after Passover. The Hebrew term for that is Shavuot, or in Greek, it's called what? Pentecost, which means 50. Seven weeks is about 50 days, 49 days. (laughs) When I first read this stuff, I was like, holy cow, I always assumed Pentecost just was a brand new thing that happened in Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament. What? You mean there was always this Pentecost that was happening for a long time and it also celebrated an event in which there was wind and tongues of fire and multiple languages? That's crazy. And it just tells you what power this event had for the early church that they were using this language, a narrative that had so formed one people. Now we see God at work with echoes of that original event. A powerful founding narrative for this new community. But as opposed to Mount Sinai, this story in Pentecost is not about one group of people, the Israelites. It is about God coming to people of all languages and nationalities. And as opposed to Babel, where the languages were confused and people couldn't understand each other, here in Acts 2, people are confused because they can understand each other. It's like, wait a second, how come I'm hearing this in my own native tongue? These guys shouldn't speak this language, they've never left Galilee. Our origin myths help shape who we are, or at least who we think we are. And when we have as part of our national mythology that we are a specially chosen nation that is exceptional in every way and that every act of expansion and self-preservation is ordained by God, we'll find ourselves doing and covering over and ignoring some pretty ugly things. We might ignore the founding of our nation based on the ideology of white supremacy. We might ignore... That our nation was founded on the widespread practice of African slavery. We might ignore that our nation was founded on a policy of genocide and land theft. When our origin myths are tribal or nationalistic or narrow, we feel inclined to act in tribal and narrow ways. And we adopt policies that are good for us or good for those of us in power, but not good for those who are not us, not good for those who are not in that same position of power. What I find so powerful in this story of Acts 2, this origin narrative of the early church, the first followers of Jesus, is that rather than creating a special class or a special group of people, it cuts across so many lines and so many barriers. Peter, quoting the prophet Joel, says that God will pour out the Spirit on all flesh. In other words, on all people on all people. God says in those days I will pour out my spirit on your sons and your daughters, and so it crosses gender lines. I will pour out my spirit on young men and old men, and so it crosses age and generational gaps. I will pour out my spirit even upon slaves, both men and women, and so it crosses class lines of rich and poor and social status of high and low. And we know the event crosses national and ethnic lines by occurring in so many different languages. This is an anti-tribal, inclusive origin story. It has space for every expression of humanity. And that seems fitting, right? It seems fitting because it reflects the kind of life Jesus lived. The kind of life Jesus lived, dining with rich and poor, healing leper and centurion, spending time with tax collectors and prostitutes and religious experts, touching the clean and the unclean, and having followers and trusted confidants who are women and who are men. One of you posted something from Richard Rohr recently that said, Jesus didn't exclude anyone except perhaps those who were apt to exclude others. Jesus was about including and about welcoming and saying, you belong and you belong and you belong and you belong. Everything and everyone belongs. It all started when God moved in this powerful way. And we recognize God's presence in every person in our midst. It didn't matter what their language was. It didn't matter how old they were or what they looked like. they were male or they were female. If we thought they deserved it or not. I think this is the kind of story the church needs to hear again today. That God can be found in everyone. Every single person. That everyone gives us a different glimpse of how to be human. A glimpse that can enrich the whole. No one should be kept from participation or leadership in the church because they are a woman, or they are gay, or they are transgendered, or they are too young, or they are too poor. Pentecost is about the reversal of Babel. It's about how the life of Jesus and the continuation of his presence through the Spirit broke through that fragmentation of humanity. And that the early church, in following the example of Jesus, broke down the barriers that humanity had constructed and began to create a new humanity. It's a story we need to hear again and again and again. So let's keep telling it. And even better, let's keep living it. Amen. And namaste. Um,
2: and I have a song I was going to share a little bit about. Uh, I'm always um, kind of, here. Uh, the way that I've always or, or made sense of it a little bit, it's, a little it's just like, that it's so mysterious and we don't understand it, and it's this haunting, mysterious thing. So I think of it as a ghost. And so, like, that there's something inside of us doing things and making things right that are wrong, and, and doing good things inside of us. Um, so yeah, so that's what the song is In the hollow of my
0: face the shine upon you be gracious to you, and may she turn her face toward you and give you her peace. Amen. Invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.